we did a survey which is called the Booth survey that looks at young viewers and, and young people in particular. Climate change came out as number one as their most important issue today. So we know this is really important. Hello and welcome to the Age of Plastic podcast with me, Andrea Fox. This is an environmental podcast with me going, ah, climate change, and then talking to people who know more about it and are doing more about it. Today, the day job and this podcast collide as we're talking sustainability and telly. Now, this is going to be the last guest episode of this series. We've got one more roundup episode on the way next week. Coming up at the end of today's episode, after our eco life hack, I'll let you know how you can get in touch to suggest guests for the next series. Now, though, with so many companies trying to work out how to be more environmentally friendly, how do you work out the carbon footprint of a TV show? Well, we're going to find out from today's guests, Yulia Giannini, Senior Sustainability Manager for ITV, and Phil Holgate, Head of Production and Sustainability for ITV Studios. Now, I've worked as an ITV continuity announcer for about seven years now. That is coming up next, girl. Could be where you recognise my voice from. And I've wanted to speak to them ever since I started this podcast because I kept seeing this thing called an Albert Sustainable Certification at the end of TV shows, and I wanted to know more about it. You may also have seen their promos recently, as we call them in the business, conveying their net carbon pledge for 2030. And it's not just that. ITV wants to have net zero carbon emissions by 2030, be zero waste by 2030, be 100% sustainable in their supply chain by 2030, and have 100% environmentally trained and certified staff by 2021. Now, ITV is a company that is across lots of different countries, lots of different people, lots of different buildings. Also, it's a TV channel here in the UK. Uh, ITV Studios, Phil is going to be talking a little bit more about the production side of actually making a telly. Today, we go into all of that. Also, what percentage of emissions ITV actually control? You might be surprised. How climate change is affecting their business and how they're thinking about it. And some of the biggest changes and differences that they made in 2020 and how they affected ITV's carbon footprint. And yes, they are related to Ant and Deck. Whether you're watching telly on your laptop or on your phone or on a 165-inch screen, here's Yulia and Phil from ITV to talk about the channel's net carbon pledge. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. Hello, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Now, I've worked for ITV for about seven years now, and I feel like this year we are really pushing the social purpose of ITV. Well, I say this year, 2020, I feel like that really started. Um, I wonder if you could sort of tell me why 2020 was really the year that ITV decided to really sort of push their environmental focus to viewers more than ever before. Sure. Um, I'll start with that one. And Phil, do add all that you have as well. So the... Social Purpose Strategy was relaunched at ITV in 2019, and that's got four priority areas, which is uh, better health, so that's better mental and physical health, it's environment that we'll go on and talk a bit more about, diversity and inclusion, and then giving back, so that's the charity fundraiser of, of Soccer Aid for UNICEF. And it was really clear from the beginning that we needed to have clear targets that underpin all of those four focus areas. And environment was the piece that we need to do the most work on before we could then start to identify what that target would be, um, which is why we've now got our new targets launched um, August last year to be net zero by 2030, as well as a few other things. But the reason why that seemed the right time, um, there's a few things. Firstly, we had a new uh, business strategy and, and brand strategy that came into play. ITV is more than TV. And that's described as ITV being 
a brand that entertains millions, that grows brands and that reflects and shapes culture. And it's the shaping culture piece that the social purpose strategy really delivers against. And when it comes to environment, this is the time to act. Like we know we've got now less than nine years to achieve, well, avoid catastrophic climate change. We also know this is really important for viewers, especially light viewers. So um, we did a survey um, with, which is called the Booth Survey that looks at young viewers and, and young people in particular. Climate change came out as number one as their most important issue today. So we know this is really important. We also did a survey to show that what is the what are the behaviours that a brand needs to be doing to indicate that you think it's a modern brand? And environment came out as number one again. So if you're acting on the environment, you're deemed as a modern brand. So to grow the brand, to grow viewer loyalty, and to really show that we're taking this seriously, there was no other year that was better to act on this than 2020. It's so interesting what you say there about the younger audience, Yulia, because I wondered how much this aligned with ITV viewers you say light viewers, like those younger viewers. Um, did you Do you feel like this is sort of the changing demographic of ITV's audience that means that we really can't be ignoring this any longer? I think that there's the audience side of things, isn't there? Um, and, and certainly you picked up on a very great point there. But also internally within ITV as well, we were seeing people asking more and more and more of these questions. And, and I, I wouldn't put a particular age range on that, but uh, there was there's definitely a, a, a step change um, that we've noticed uh, certainly over the last couple of years, um, but, but I think before that as well, um, the just the industry in general seems to be quite ahead of the curve, uh, and, and TV companies have been doing a lot of work on this for quite a long period of time now. So it's it, we we sowed the seeds quite a long time ago, and it, it feels like they're sort of starting to uh, bear fruit, if you like. So uh, I think it's it's not. Uh, a coincidence that it's happened in the last couple of years. There's been a lot of uh, foundations been built over a, a quite a long period of time now, and some really key people that have been behind that. Um, and then it's just been perfectly aligned with the right management team coming along, who have been really open and receptive to this, and they know it's the right thing to do and have signed up to it. But also some really good doers in the business as well, who are who are huge advocates. But you know they're just cracking on and getting on with it, and they're the they're like pioneers, if you like. You know, they've they've really put their head up above the parapet and have, have gone first, and others are following now. So it's just been that that beautiful sort of mix and blend of people that have come together and uh, really aligned at a perfect time. Yeah, and I do think um, saying we're going to become a channel that is net carbon by twenty thirty, putting that out there is quite a bold pledge, isn't it? Really, it is. It definitely is, and I think it's. It, you need to be bold and you need to have your North Star to really push the strategy forward. There's no point kind of playing in a cautious space when it comes to action on climate, mm-hmm. because we are very clear on how quickly we need to solve this issue and the ambition of the change that needs to happen in all entities globally, not just ITV and every single business, every single society. So you you want to aim for that North Star and motivate not only the colleagues in your business as phil was saying we've got so many advocates who have been waiting to have the remit to start acting on this and now the remit is there because we've set that target internally but we can also have the opportunity to influence policy and influence um, our industry as well and that's really important to us so that we show that we are driving and 
taking others with us in the right direction. Yeah, completely. And I think as well from a viewer's point of view, the campaign just looks great. Like the whole idea of the biggest shows with the smallest footprint. You may have seen promos of the shows we don't want to make this warming catastrophe street. Um, And we're helping viewers to find out their footprint and giving them tips on how they can take charge and have an impact on the environment. But when it comes to working out the footprint of a TV channel or a TV show, how do we even go about doing that? Yeah, I mean, that's probably my uh, my neck of the woods, isn't it, Julius? I'll pick that one up. But just to go back to your previous point there, uh, Andrea, about the the on-screen stuff that we've done... um, when we've been looking at how to physically reduce the impact of our productions, that's that's been a, a really strong focus. But the emphasis is moving more towards what we can do on screen. Um, we'll maybe take, talk a bit more about that uh, further down the line. But um, that that focus around um, influencing our audience has been it's been a, a really sort of high level conversation that's been going on for the past couple of years. But that's been a, a lot around content and what our characters are doing on screen, what they do, what they say, how they behave. Um, but that, that that really short promo, that little piece of time that we've had around, uh, you know, the programs that we don't want to make, the, the amount of feedback we've had from that's been incredible. And that's been almost more impactful than maybe someone on Co- uh, Coronation Street driving an electric car or, or something like that. So, Or using a reusable yeah. cup when they go to the cost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it's, all, it's all a huge part of what we're doing. But yeah, just to go back to, to your previous point about productions, um, I think... Uh, Going back to my earlier point around how well progressed and matured this, the, there is a system, um, and uh, as a sector, as a as a TV and film sector, we're, we're really blessed because there's a, uh, a a system of tools that we have at our disposal uh, that's called Albert. It was created by the BBC. Um, it's it's managed now by BAFTA, who were seen of a a bit of a, a Switzerland. So they're um, you know they. they they're very independent and they can offer that tool out to the whole sector without any um, sort of undue influence or anything like that. Um, it was, uh, I think they're celebrating their 10th birthday this year. So it has been around for quite a long time now. Um, and it's really exciting. The, the toolkit that they have that um, everybody tends to use um, is uh, a carbon footprint calculator. Uh, and that means that you can put in lots and lots of quite granular detail per production uh, it asks you a load of questions, you put in a load of information, uh, and it shows you what your your predicted footprint is. And this is right at the start of the program making process. Um, it then asks your production to go on a, a bit of a journey to reduce that potential impact. Um, you, you do a load of actions, you put a load of things into place, uh, hopefully reduce your carbon footprint. And then if you can prove that, they, they reward you with a certification. You know, People might see, viewers might see that little logo at the end of the credits when they roll to say uh, an Albert certified production. Uh, and that's what that is. It's, it's uh, like a badge of honour almost to say, actually, you've done some really great stuff to, to try and reduce the impact on the planet that your programme's making. But, um, you know, it, it's not always easy to do that. Uh, it depends what sort of programme you're making. Um, you know, genre by genre, it's different. Um, each individual production is completely different as well. So... Uh, it is a challenge, um, but it's great to have that toolkit there because it means we've got consistency. Um, and the, the really exciting thing for me um, is when I see uh, maybe a whole year's worth of that information, I can analyze that data and it allows companies like ITV um, to, to make some really strategic decisions as well and, and just see where our main impacts are and that then in turn can feed back into helping to deliver the uh, the strategy. 
And just on the total company footprint and data. So um, we operate in 13 markets across the world um, and collecting data from our global business is really important because that net zero target is our global target for every single location that we're based in and, and everything that we're doing as a business globally. So we also collect data from all of the offices that we have, all of the business travel that we're doing globally. And let me just tell you, business travel, the impact of that is more than all the buildings that we have globally. So it's such an important one, you know, flying and travel by um, combustion engines, something that we're definitely going to be reducing over time. Thank you, COVID, because that's already happening. But we need to embed that behavior change now for the long term. So the data and collecting all of that evidence um, underpinned by what Phil was also saying about on productions, there's a lot of work that goes into this. It's not the sexiest topic, but it's so important because then you can track your progress. Of course. And that is the main thing, isn't it? We have to have this data so we can measure how much better we're getting at this. And I think people will you know, hear about our net carbon as viewers and maybe think, oh, OK, light bulbs in studios and not printing scripts and things like that. But like you say, we have many buildings and we are in many countries and there's just so much that goes into creating a TV show and a channel and being the sort of size of company that we are. Um, so uh, what do you think are some of the most difficult sort of things when it comes to lowering that footprint for ITV? Um, from, from a production perspective, in terms of making TV shows, I, I, I think travel is going to be the biggest um, sort of thing for us to be able to tackle. And it's probably the trickiest one as well, because you do need to get to places. You know, it's very difficult. Uh, I always give the example of, uh, when we went to Russia to film the the World Cup, you know, you, you can't film the World Cup in the UK. You have to travel to Russia, um, but you don't have to take the entire circus to town. You know, you can use local suppliers. Um, you can just take that that small crew with you, um, or, or maybe it's just the presenters, but there's still a, an element of travel involved in that. Um, interestingly, the, the ITV sports team went down the route of sending a lot of their kit by, uh, by boat and by rail um, and used a lot of local crew as well. And that had a huge impact. So it was a case of reducing um, and, and just avoiding travel where you can. Um, also, the number of times that people were moving uh, in terms of logistics around the country. I mean, Russia is vast, isn't it, as we, as we know. Um, so that, again, made a huge impact. But um, I think there's been a great, a great example this year how you can do things differently. There's more than one, actually. There's a few great case studies that have come out of, um, off the back of COVID. And I think me and Yulia are one of, uh, two of the few people who actually – uh, can see some of the positives at the minute from COVID because it's made us work in different ways. We've had to try things differently. Um, and probably the, the most high profile um, example of that has been I'm a celebrity. So rather than flying halfway around the world and uh, going to Australia, actually we had to try and make it in the UK. Um, and we converted a castle in in Wales and, and, and to huge success as well. So that's a great example. If I'd have suggested that to the team, 12 months ago I'd probably been given my P45 and and, and thank you very much <laughs> off you go but um you know we had to try it differently and and actually did very well um so it'd be really interesting to see um uh if if that's something that we keep further down the line and then there's been some other great examples as well around things like using technology to, to the maximum so can we do our post-production um remotely can we work from home in different ways um, and again, you know, I'm a celebrity doing its post-production from our main office in London, uh, where previously they might have travelled out to location and done it clo- to be close to the action. 
uh, we had to do it differently for, for COVID reasons, for health and safety reasons, but it meant that we had to accelerate some of the, the technical advancements that we probably would have liked to have got to anyway. Um, but we've had to try them. We've had to make them work and now we've got them. So, you know, let's, let's keep using them. So I, I do think travel will be one of the biggest challenges, but I think we've got a bit of a gift from the last 12 months for all these lessons that we've learned, um, albeit from, you know, horrible, horrible circumstances that you would never want to have found ourselves in. But uh, you might as well take the positives from a really bad situation. Um, Sport did some really interesting um, coverage at the beginning when COVID really first hit, which is around the races where you might have seen, but they um, were actually broadcasting the kind of commentary from inside the house of the main presenter. Yes, Ed Chamberlain, wasn't he? He was at home. Exactly. He was just at home. His he was furnishings. Just it. I love and it. There he was. And so I just think it was that was a, an amazing way to just show that we're all facing into COVID. We all have to do things differently. Hey, here's our presenter in his house giving you the coverage, which I think was just a really human way of approaching it as well. It was like we weren't trying to put that green screen behind him and pretend that wasn't happening. It was just like, no, this is the reality of yeah. here's, here's your sporting coverage from inside someone's Pesting in his house every every night, wasn't it, in his library? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, overall, that the whole piece around tackling climate change is basically change management. It's behaviour change, essentially. Um, and I, I just think, you know, it, it's awful because I'm, I'm really mindful about saying, you know, COVID's been the best thing ever for climate change because that's mm. uh, what a horrible, horrible thing that we've we've all been going through. But you've got to take the benefit, you know, the good parts of it, um, and 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 learn some great lessons. And I think it's just made people go, actually, yeah, we can do things. You know, we, we can do things differently. We've had to. Um, it's mm. it's really helped with that. So completely, it's like do things differently or not do things at all. And it's the same with climate change. Do things differently, or there'll be no planet to be doing things differently with. Yeah, I think COVID was a really tangible. Oh my gosh, this is affecting me now. Whereas climate change, like, wow, that's huge. Wow, okay, I can't even think about that now. And put it back in the box and uh, and move on. And on a on the wider business perspective, I think what is worth mentioning is that if you look at our our full footprint at ITV. 2% of that footprint comes from what's called our scope one and two emissions, the emissions that we have like direct control over. So that's the energy that we use and those are the buildings that we, Only 2%. That we are occupied in. Only 2% mm. because 98% is sitting in our supply chain. So it's our products and services that we use. It's the business travel that we take. So it's all of the emissions that we don't actually have direct control of, but we influence because we're receiving that service and we're receiving that product. So the challenge that I would say that we have is just making sure that we are working with all of those thousands of suppliers who, you know, our business is built on them. We can't operate without their their services and without their, those products and making sure that they're coming on the journey with us and that we're being clear on the expectation of them and that we are pushing them in the direction that they need to go in and work with them to innovate, to find new solutions and just unlock those really interesting new options that we could explore to do things in a way that would be a lot lower impact. Completely. I think we've spoken to Amanda Keatley on uh, the podcast before who talks about sort of being like a plastic game changer in your um, working environment. And a lot of that has a knock-on effect, like you say, for those contractors down the line. So have you had quite good feedback on these sort of changes that you're trying to implement with all of those sort of outside sources that obviously come together to help us make the programmes we make? Um we're actually developing what that strategy looks like at the moment. So there's a lot of work that the procurement team are leading on, which looks at actually how do we 
change our requirements? What is the engagement that's going to be needed with those suppliers? On you know some of them it will be like a one-to-one basis if they're a really big supplier. There's a lot of emissions that they're creating on behalf of our business. Um, we really wanted to go in with a bespoke approach. But there are examples within our productions where there have been discussions being made and decisions being made um, to switch to, for example, um, electric and hybrid cars, even though sometimes that's not the most cost-effective option, but we know that that's the direction of travel, so we have to do it. Find out more at itv.com forward slash footprint. On the production side of things, what's the sort of feedback from people that we work with uh, when they hear that we're sort of like saying, well, this is the way we need to do things now because we've made this pledge? Yeah, I mean, a complete mixed bag is, is the sort of really honest answer. Um, it's, it's something we've been having conversations with a lot of our, especially our key suppliers and some of those, maybe the low hanging fruit for, for a while now. Um, and you, you get everything from, um, you know, maybe a little bit of initial head scratching. Well, you know, what, what do you mean by this? Why are you asking me this? All the way through to, yeah, sure, here's our environmental strategy. Here's what we're doing. And it, it, it's quite mind-blowing from, from some quarters uh, about what they're doing. It, it's becoming the norm, it, it, and that's an absolute blessing. So, um, And I think I'll, I, I refer back to my previous point about how well, aligned the sector is and how and how that's been ongoing for quite a number of years now because generally speaking we're using a lot of the same supply chain right across the industry so it's quite normal now for uh, you know for procurement rfps to, to ask these sorts of probing questions um, but i think it's key that uh, to it that, that we work with them i think yulia alluded to that previously um we're not just saying you know it's not a, a big pokey stick that we're, we're whacking people with it's um you know, we're working with them as well to say, you know, th- this is why we're asking these questions. These are the sorts of things that we'd like to, to think you would be considering. And, you know, you, you're bringing everyone on the journey with you at that point as well. Um, but yeah, it, it is absolutely becoming commonplace for us um, to, to be engaging with our supply chain and for them to come forward with other ideas as well. So I think that's uh, a really pleasing aspect of it. Yeah, collaborative, like so much to do with making TV shows, right? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. We, we actually established a kind of sustainable um, supply chain working group with BBC, with Sky, with Channel 4, um, with Viacom, who own uh, Channel 5 as well, because we know that we're all looking at this together at the same time. Why don't we align on what we're actually asking these suppliers for and, and, and these contractors? and make sure that it's just consistent. If you work with our industry, not just us as a company, if you work with our industry, this is what we expect of you and this is what you need to align to and and just take them on that journey. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think it's often viewers will think it's uh, channels against each other. And it's not really that way it works in the background, is it? Like we make stuff for ITV Studios, make shows for the BBC and we all collaborate on these sort of big, as it's called in climate change, the wicked problem of climate change. So, yeah, I think that's really interesting and important for viewers to hear. And we have mentioned COVID quite a few times. Obviously, I don't think anyone would have had to be forced to make these changes in the way that COVID-19 has had to make us rethink work and everything that we do. Um, but like you say, it, it's kind of focused minds. Would you say that's true in, in sort of looking at our social purpose and the environmental impact that we have? Absolutely. I would say that COVID has shown two things. Firstly, we can do things differently. The excuse of like, we have to do it this way because we've always done it this way has just gone out the window. And the second thing is the stark reality of what it's like living through a global crisis. 
if we're not prepared for the catastrophic climate change that will come if we don't act, there will be no vaccine that will tip us back to being in the world that we were before. So COVID gives a framing that is really useful when you talk to stakeholders to say, to say there are genuine risks to our business if we don't do this properly. And we have actually conducted um, climate scenario analysis for ITV, which looks at the global business and how will climate change impact our ability to do business in the next 20, 30, 40, 100 years? And what do we need to build in to our planning, to our strategies, to our risk management process that allows us to mitigate that, that risk and make sure that just doesn't happen because we're already prepared and we're already changing things in the business. So having that, bringing that long-term view into the strategy planning right now is really important to that. And COVID gave a good framing to action that kind of approach. Yeah. Weirdly, just picking up on that point, Yulia, it does feel like a, a bit of a game changer does that risk analysis work that's happened. And it's, it's probably going to sound really dry to the listeners, but uh, when you start analysing risk to your business, but, um, you know, city analysts want to know what businesses are doing about it. And actually, it's going to come into law in the next couple of years. And, and you know, really pleasing to see that IT be part of a, an organisation like ITV that's ahead of the curve and, and is voluntarily opting into something like this is is really exciting um but you know it, we're on the hook now we've, we've got to do this and and uh, i would like to think that you know maybe we're we're one of the first to go with it but many many more businesses will follow um and it, it, it's just been it's just I, i've seen you know senior management especially have gone okay right this is real we need to you know it's not something that's going to happen in 100 years uh you know to a, a sad looking polar bear on an iceberg it's you know, how's this going to impact our businesses, you know, and, and a, a really large global business as well. It's not just even in the UK. Um, so, yeah, that's um, it, it's an exciting development. And I think it's one that will be a, a catalyst for change. Uh, but going back to the, the whole point about COVID, I think a couple of the really exciting developments that I've seen is, A, the speed that people can change if they need to and have to. Um, how do we harness that? How do we uh, sort of frame that around uh, the climate change agenda as well? Um, and the you know the other point is that we we can find money to do things as well. So all of these, I won't call them excuses, but you know the reasons that people give you for for inaction to date. Well, you know you can just argue against all of them because we've done them. We've literally done them all in the last twelve months. So it gives me hope. Yeah, we can make these changes, and it is focusing minds. And it's really interesting what you say about business is that and and laws that are going to be coming into effect in the future. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? What Phil was alluding to was the um, there's a there's a framework called TCFD, which is a task force for climate related financial disclosure. Sorry. Sounds Sorry. like the another sexy in your life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad we talk, we, we're talking about this now. It's so TV, isn't it? So TV. Yeah. <laughs> and it's essentially the framework that um, is is the reason why we did the scenario analysis because it it requires you to show how climate risk is built into your strategy, it's built into your governance structure, it's built into your risk management process, and it's built into your targets and frameworks. And th that um, disclosure against TCFD is going to be mandatory for all businesses in the next couple of years or so. So there is serious action and serious um, pushing that is happening from the city to make sure that this is happening. Because investors know that if you're a business that doesn't have a good strategy around this, you are basically an investment risk. You're going to, you know, if you don't know the impact of climate change on your business, you could have stranded assets. You could, you could not be able to make the profits that you make now in the very near future 
And as an investor in that business, you want to know that that business has actually thought of it. So it's very clear why that push is coming from the city. And it's up to businesses like us to respond to that and actually build it into the way that we operate. Yeah, completely. And as we've mentioned before, love a bit of data. Um, And you had quite a good basis of coming up with the sort of step plans of how we're going to reduce our net carbon uh, and also the measurables as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. So um, for the global business, um, the measurables... um, include things like how much energy are we using you know what is our global travel uh how much fuel are we using within the business um so it's it's all of the the typical big ticket items that you know create a lot of emissions um as well as what is the footprint of our suppliers and and what they're using as well so we are tracking that we've implemented a new global data system that captures that environmental data Um, And it's something that we have also built into our governance structure. So we have a new team of very senior leaders that is chaired by our CFO, Chris Kennedy, that is the climate change delivery group. And they represent all the key business areas within ITV who need to deliver against this strategy. So that's broadcast, that's um, operations, that's technology, that's productions. Um, And it will be those stakeholders who are accountable for how well we progress and whether we're progressing in the right um, and hitting the right milestones. And just in terms of uh, production, it, it probably drills down in, into a bit more granular detail. So uh, the system that we use is, is per production, um, and that asks you all sorts of questions. So you're measuring things like from your uh, your production office through to maybe studio or location, uh, your props, your sets, your costumes, all the way through to post-production and, and what you're doing with your waste and things like that. So it goes down into a, a lot, a lot of detail. So the information that you get out of the back end of that is is fantastic because it really gives you a, a very, very clear idea about where your carbon footprint is coming from um, and then allows you then to, to hopefully do something about it. So uh, I think we're quite blessed, certainly in the UK, to be able to have that amount of, of, of really good qualitative and quantitative data. Um, the challenge for us now is how do we sort of replicate that around the world? And, you know, Julia said earlier, we operate in 13 different countries. So um, that's that's one of my challenges for 2021. Uh, we've got some great conversations going on in the background, a lot of support for us to do that as well. So watch this space is what I'll be saying. And fingers crossed, yeah, we get there to the net carbon by 2030. Exactly. I always ask our guests uh, two very important questions as well, guys, because uh, we are called the Age of Plastic podcast because it's a gateway into lots of climate issues for lots of people. Um, And it's a good material. We're just using it the wrong way, like so much of our consumerism today. So do you have an item in your life that is made of plastic that you're like, thank the Lord we have that? It's probably not like a plastic fork (laughs) in the Emmerdale canteen, uh, I imagine. So, yeah, something plastic in your life that's non-single use that you're happy for that exists yeah I, i'll go first because um my my childhood was based around this product and i think it's it sort of followed me through in time my career in uh, i did a lot of project management work uh, and it's lego uh, i think it's just the greatest thing ever uh, i've still got all my lego so it's, you can't ever accuse me of having single-use plastics in my life um <laughs> but yeah it, it, as you say it's a great product when it's used right it's just the frivolous nature of uh, our reliance on it that, that needs addressing i think Completely. And I think they make a eco they're, Lego they're now. They're coming out with plant-based Lego, which is great. Plant-based Lego that will hopefully biodegrade. So you might go up into the loft in years to come well, and find it still biodegraded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Julia, what about you? Plastic item in your life you're thankful for? 
well, I wish it was in my life, but I am going to talk about a plastic, a plastic component. So I guess carbon fiber, which allows planes to be built in a much more uh, lighter way, so like the, like the Dreamliner and also F1 race cars, etc. So I think carbon fiber, which is ultimately plastic, um, has enhanced our civilization in a really good way. And I think there's amazing applications for it. I wish I owned an F1 race car. I don't. <laughs> Not I one say on the drive, no? <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good one because you're so that's so true like the lighter something is the less fuel it needs and once we can travel again it is one of those great joys of life we just need to sort of do it in a more environmentally friendly way so that's a really good one i would not thought of that before um, and finally just the question we ask all our guests your environmental hero both of you so um, I am going to pick out uh, someone from the business world, actually. It's two people. Um, it'll be Paul Pullman and Keith Weed, who came up with the Unilever Sustainable Living Plan back in 2009. Uh, and the reason I've chosen them is because they, they were the first to come out to prove the business case for how you can be a business and be sustainable at the same time and be profitable and be growing. So they really set the blueprint back in 2009 for what all businesses are now following. So I think it would be those two. That's a really good one. I'm going to go and have to have a little read of that. Thank you. <laughs> um, mine, mine's a bit more old school um, in Al Gore. Uh, so a couple of TED Talks that he did, just, it was a light bulb moment for me. I was like, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, there's so many there's so many out there now, which is great to see. Um, but they just seem, it feels like they've been niche for a long time and start just starting now to come to mainstream. Um, so, yeah, fingers crossed that they've become many more people's heroes. Yeah, completely. That's a brilliant one. I don't think we've had Al Gore either on the podcast before. So well done for picking someone other than David Attenborough because that he obviously comes <laughs> it was up, tempting. comes up a lot. Um, and yeah, and again, like Torval and Dean on the recent show, Dancing on Thin Ice on ITV, um, which I introduced in case you recognise my voice. Um, and on the end of that, if anyone is wanting to go and see how ITV is helping viewers to look at their carbon footprint, itv.com forward slash footprint. And I have followed the WWF uh, footprint thing recently and I was quite chuffed to find that I'm slightly below average. So, hooray! Well done, Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. You. Thank you so much. Um, thank you, Yulia and Phil, for joining me today on the Age of Plastic podcast. Thank you so much for having I hope you found that as interesting as I do. Um, everybody watches telly. I find it so interesting to find out how the channel is working with other channels, bringing suppliers on the journey, how attitudes have changed inside and outside the company, because I think this kind of applies to any company in any industry, right? And who knows, maybe we will see I'm a Celebrity in a Castle in Wales in the future. It was still very popular again last year. Now on to today's Eco Life Hack. Now we've mentioned Carbon Footprint a lot. This has been a very carbon heavy episode. Now, Carbon Footprint was not created as a concept by the fossil fuel industry. They did spend quite a lot, including BP, in promoting it to get themselves in the clear. Let's just park that for a minute, though. One way you can look at decreasing your carbon footprint is to head to itv.com forward slash footprint. Uh, they've teamed up with the WWF for some tips there. Slightly more in-depth one as well I wanted to share with you today. Geeky Earth, G-I-K-I. Not only do you look at your own carbon footprint, there's also loads of tips uh, that you can share if you found ways to decrease your carbon footprint as well. And of course, plastic made from fossil fuel. So using less of it, surely helping the planet. 
I will link to all of those in the show notes for today's episode. Now, if you do want to get in touch, tell me something that you liked about the podcast or you didn't like about the podcast, suggest a guest or an eco life hack. You can find us on Instagram, Age of Plastic Podcast. I'm on Instagram as well. Hello, I am Andrea Fox. On Twitter, Andrea underscore Fox. And you can contact me through my website as well. I am andreafox.co.uk. Coming up next week, we'll hear from all of the guests in this series. We'll talk finance, we'll talk books, we'll talk eco-dilemmas, we'll talk marine science, we'll talk a bit of telly as well. Uh, That is on the final episode of the Age of Plastic podcast. This series, until then, don't leave your telly on standby. Oh, and also wash your hands and wear a mask. Bye.